All right, let's open up to Second Chronicles chapter 13. We're going to try and do 13 and 14 tonight. We'll see where we get with it. All right. We uh, finished off in our last chapter. We've seen uh, King Rehoboam has now passed away, going on to be buried with his with David and the rest of the ancestors and is sitting here with a great divide in the nation of Israel. Now we have a northern and southern kingdom. And uh, if you remember uh, in chapter, I think it was over in chapter 11, they talked about God did not want the two nations to fight against each other. They did not want uh, the brethren to, to shed blood amongst each other. But we see even for Rehoboam and Jeroboam fought with each other. And now we're going to look at his son, Abijah, who was no better. And uh, he went to war with his own brethren, the northern kingdom. And uh, we're going to see actually tonight between the two chapters, two polar opposite kings. And King Asa and King Abijah, we're going to see how completely opposite they really, really were. But uh, one thing they did have in common between these two chapters is that both of them cried out to the Lord when uh, they were in need. Um, so let's go ahead and get into our word tonight. Verse 1 of chapter 13, it starts off, it says, In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah set the battle in order with all <clears throat> the army of uh, valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up in battle formation against him with 800,000 choice men, mighty men of valor. So here we go. We got these two nations going to war, and we're going to look at Abijah, who in First Kings was also called Abijah, Abijam. So he has a different name in First Kings, but it's the same person, same king. <clears throat> and we're told that in First Kings that he is actually does evil in the sight of the Lord, that he was not a righteous king for the nation of Judah. But God still gave him a light in Jerusalem for the sake of his grandfather, David. So David had a, <laughs> had a lot to do with what uh, God was doing here in the nation of Judah. He's seen David as a man after his own heart. He's seen a, that David was a man of God, and he brought a lot of favor on Judah because of David. And we're seeing some of that favor here with Abijam. Now, Abijam, uh, Rehoboam, when he was about 58 when he died. So we're looking at Abijah here is probably maybe in his 40s at the time when he took over to reign. But he only reigned for about three years. He got sick and ended up dying. And that's probably part of the judgment against him because of his waywardness. He was not following the Lord. He was not doing things that were right in his sight. But we'll see a little later in this chapter how God still blessed the nation of Judah and saved them from this battle that he's about to go into. And I think one of the main points here is that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and one of the things he did was he did nothing. He did nothing to point Judah towards the Lord. He did nothing to, to, to teach them that they needed to follow the Lord's ways. There was idolatry going on, really bad in the northern kingdom. In Judah, idolatry is going on, and Abijah is not leading the people of Judah in the right direction. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Lord may have cut his life short for this those three years. Now, the, the war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam had continued through Abijah. 
he continued wanting to go against Israel. And we'll see in a minute that he spoke of the northern kingdom of Israel as rebels against God. And partly that's true because they rebelled against God in, in, in splitting up and then with Jeroboam setting up the golden calves uh, for worship for his people there. So they absolutely did go into rebellion against God by splitting like that. So in verse 4 it says, Then Abijah stood on Mount Zamorim, with, uh, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, Jeroboam, and all of Israel. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? Now we know that God did give the covenant to David and to his, those who were to come after him and his remnant. But it's if they did what? Followed the Lord, followed his statutes, followed his commandments. So there was somewhat of a condition on that. And we know ultimately it does come to pass that David's lineage does have the reign because Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign when he comes back. But there was some limitations to it. They had to follow the ways of the Lord, follow his commandments, follow his statutes. And we see for those kings who didn't, the turmoil they had in their kingdoms and in their reigns. It wasn't very good. It said yet, in verse 6, it says, Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, uh, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. Then worthless rogues gathered to him and strengthened, them, strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. When Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. Now, see, now we have Abijah here giving them a rundown of the reasons why you probably shouldn't want to fight against me. Trying to back out of this battle, in, in a sense, by going through this, that we shouldn't be fighting each other. This is David is the uh, rightful ruler over Israel. You've had this split. You've rebelled. And he's kind of given them the reasons. And it says, and now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of the sons of David. And you are a great multitude. And with you are the gold calves. Remember, Jeroboam made the gold calves, which Jeroboam made for you as gods. Have you not cast out the priests of the land, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made for yourself priests like the peoples of other lands, so that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may be priests of things that are not, of, not gods? But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites attend to their duties. And they burn to the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. They also set the showbread in, in, uh, in order on the pure gold table and the lampstand of gold with its lamps to burn every evening. For we keep the command of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Now, there is some truth in that. They have forsaken him. And Abijah sitting here telling them, we keep the laws of God. We do all these different things, but we all know that he did evil. It tells us in first Kings in the sight of the Lord. So there's a little, there's some truth there sprinkled in with a little lies. It says, now look, God himself is with us as our head and his priests with sounding trumpets to sound the alarm against you. O children of Israel, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers for you shall not prosper. So we see Abijah 
talking to Jeroboam, telling him, you really don't want any of this right here because we have God on our side. And look, this is how we know we have God on our side. Our priests are following everything he said to do. We're making the sacrifices. We're burning the incense. We're doing all these things. And you make golden calves. You make false idols for your people. You are not God. And in that last part of 12, it says, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. That's true. All these people in, in our society today who are, are fighting against God, and they're doing it rebelliously. They're doing it out of their own free will, wanting to fight against God, will not prosper. We see all this evil, and, and we look at the politics of the day, and we see the, 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 the talks, the, the sinful talk that's going on today, and we think, wow, Lord, where are you at? But they will not prosper. They will not win. And, you know, it is because they fight against, they willingly fight against God. And we know better than that. We know we shouldn't fight against God. We know when we only fight against God and go against his will, we know, you know what happens with us, the struggles we go through. Ultimately, we get the victory because of Jesus. Ultimately, we get the victory uh, because of his blood and his sacrifice. But we know just the, the hardships we go through as believers when we fight against them, when we shouldn't. And ultimately, those who fight against them willingly and, and don't serve them, they're not going to prosper. And we're going to see in a minute that Jeroboam did not prosper here. So we have King Abijah. He's telling him that, you're, that you don't have a prayer. You don't have a chance in beating us. And there's two reasons. Number one, he looks at the prophetic side of it. He looks at David and what God told of David, saying that David's uh, offspring are going to be the ones who are going to rule on this throne, that there was a covenant made with him. Now, when a covenant was made, it would take, say, a cow, split it, and walk between it and make the covenant with it, right? They would have this covenant, and they would kill the cow, saying, hey, we're dead serious about making this covenant. And that's exactly what God had made with David. We made a covenant that your offspring was going to continue to be on this throne. But then he said here, then he said, verse 5, he says, they made the covenant by a covenant of salt. So what does salt do? What does salt do to meat? Now we just put it in the freezer or refrigerator and we keep it preserved, but that salt was to preserve it, keep it from rotting. So he was making a covenant that was very strong, that was not going to break down, that was not going to rot. And this covenant, it was made with David. And uh, he's bragging about that. I'm on the right side of things. That's exactly how Abijah thought. I'm on the right side of things. So we looked at it prophetically. Then we're going to look at it practically. You know, at the end of verse 12, he talks about that, the, that they wouldn't prosper because they were going against God. You know, they say sometimes me plus God is all you need. That's the biggest army you can have. You know, and, and that's kind of how Abijah is looking at it. God is on our side. We're doing all these right things. You're on the wrong side of God. You're not going to prosper. So in his mind, we got this battle won. And the fact that Abijah was not even walking with the Lord tells us that God still keeps the promises he made. He made this promise to David that his offspring would rule and reign in Judah. And we look at Abijah. And we look how he only ruled for three years. We look at Abijah, how God still allowed him to get this victory because of David. But we, ha we have a God who keeps promises. And he kept this promise to David. And he'll keep the promises to you that he made. 
So we've got a God that, that does not go back on his promises. Verse 13 goes on to say, it says, But Jeroboam caused an ambush to go around uh, behind them. So they were in front of Judah, and ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked around, to their surprise, the battle line was at both front and rear, and they cried out to the Lord, and the priests sounded the trumpets. Then the men of Judah uh, gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. So we see here, Jeroboam was going before him into battle, but he secretly snuck someone in from behind, right? And I look at this, and I, and I think of how the enemy will do that to us. He'll put something before us and sneak around the back to try and destroy us too. And, he, and this is a battle, a battle technique. And I found that both in my life and in the others, that the enemy will do this to us. Catches from behind, catches by surprise. And this is exactly what Jeroboam was trying to do to Abijah right now. He attacks it from the front. He attacks it from, the, from behind. He condemns us about our past mistakes. He'll condemn us about things we may have done last week, last year, and he'll bring them up at the worst, worst times and just attack us as believers. But, you know, in Philippians 3, 13, 4, uh, 13 through 14, it says, Brothers, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward toward those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We can't worry about our past. Our past is past. It's done. Our past has already been forgiven, too. And our past has been taken care of. So when the enemy does try to attack us from behind, we've got to let him know that's already been taken care of. I can't worry about those things anymore. I've got to look forward to the prize, which is Christ Jesus. That's what I've got to look forward to. The secret to a happy Christian walk is to neither live in the past nor worry about tomorrow. He says, don't worry about tomorrow because what? Tomorrow will take care of itself. We can't worry about tomorrow because we're not guaranteed our next breath. We got to live now. We got to live with our eyes on Jesus. And we got to live in the moment with Jesus because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. God does. He knows what tomorrow is going to bring. He'll take care of tomorrow. You walk with Jesus in the here and now. And follow him. And your path is already set. In verse 14, as we go on, it says, And when Judah looked around, to their surprise, the battle line was at both front and rear. And they cried out to the Lord, and the priests sounded the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, as the men of Judah shouted, It happened that God struck Jeroboam and all of Israel before Abijah and Judah. Kind of reminds me of, when they were going into the promised land and they were at Jericho and they blew the horns and they shouted and the walls came down. So they're shouting out to the Lord and the, and the Lord has taken this army out for them because they shouted out in sincerity to him. I believe this story is recorded for a very simple but significant reason to remind us that the Lord is ready and willing to answer our prayers when we cry out to him. And we look at this, uh, this king, Abijah, who was doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And there was one day when we were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And we gave out a cry of desperation. 
we gave out a cry to the Lord because we knew we couldn't save ourselves. And Abijah and Judah at this time, I think it's more than just Abijah, but the nation of, of Judah here is crying out to the Lord, knowing that this army is bigger than theirs. This army could probably easily take them, but they knew who to cry out to. And they did that, and the Lord delivered them from their enemy here. And then going on into verse 16, it reads, And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. It's always good when the Lord delivers us. Then Abijah and his people struck them with a great slaughter, so 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. Thus the children of Israel were subdued at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed, because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. That says a lot right there. They, they, they relied on the Lord God. That's what we need to do in season, out of season. We need to rely on the Lord, our God. And, and Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel with his villages, Joshanna with its villages, Ephraim with its villages. So Jeroboam did not recover strength again in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him and he died. But Abijah grew mighty, married 14 wives, begot 22 uh, sons and 16 daughters. Now, not quite as much as his, uh, the father before him, and obviously not as much as Solomon. But this habit of continuously uh, adding wives continued. Now, the rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his sayings are written in the annuals of the prophets Edo. So we see Abijah lasted whole three years. And then he died. But now we're going to get into chapter 14 and we're going to talk about Asa, who was a good king and who brought reform to the nation of Israel. So in verse 1, it says, of 14, it says, So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In this day, in his days, the land was quiet for ten years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. So here we see this king Asa come on the scene now, son of Abijah. And like I said earlier, the polar opposites. We had one that was doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And now we're going to see one who's going to do right and good in the sight of the Lord. And that's the one we need to <laughs> look at. So we look here in verse 2, it says, And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He didn't do just what was good in the sight of God. He did what was good and right in the sight of God. There's a lot of things that are good for us to do. It's good for us to pray. But if we pray like the Pharisees are praying, to be seen in front of man, and we, we pray for our names will look good, that's not really good at all. But if we pray to go before the Lord, if we pray just to have that audience of one, then we're doing what is good and what is right. Same thing with giving. Giving is good. But if we give for everyone to see, you see the videos on, 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 online on social media where these people go before the homeless and they give them all this stuff and they get a video of it. They're doing something good. They are helping the homeless in a sense, but it's not right because you need to do those things 
where only the Father sees it. Where only God himself can give you glory for it, but not the glory for men. So there's, there's, we can do a lot of good things, but are we doing it right as well? And we see here that Asa did things before the Lord that were good, and he did things before the Lord that was right. And it also says in, the, in, in verse 1 that in his days the land was quiet for 10 years. There was no war. It was peaceful. And you know when you do things that are good and right in the sight of the Lord, you'll have peace in your heart too. Just like his kingdom had peace because he was doing the things that was good and right before the Lord and he gave him peace. In verse 3 it said, He removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments. So here we see the first of about five revivals that went through the nation of Judah in their history. So we see one of the first as they go in, he's going in to tear down all the high places. Now there was two different type of high places that they had there. One would be in the middle of the city, more constructed, stone. Everybody would come, do their sacrifice and what have you. Then there was those that were out in the mountains or more nature-like that needed to be teared down as well. And he went in and did his best to tear down everything he could that was not of God. He was tearing down those, those, uh, those sacred places and those high places. We've got to tear down the high places that are, that are in our lives too, the idols that we erect to worship in our lives. And we all have our different vices that we have, but we need to go in just like Asa did and tear down those idols and tear down those, those high places that we build up in our lives. And that's what Asa was doing here, tearing down all of these places. Now, was he able to get every one of them? Probably not. And as soon as his people would go in and tear them down, those idols and those high places were still in the mind of the people, so they would probably go back and rebuild some of these as well. So he did his best to tear down these deals. And in verse 4, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God, their fathers, and observe the law and his commandments. Asa was trying to direct the nation of Judah back towards God, unlike his father was, who did none of that. So he was leading his people by example, by tearing down these high places and also telling them, hey, you need to follow the commands of the Lord. This is the way we should walk as a nation. This is the way we should walk as individuals to have our individual walk with our God. We need to walk in the way of the Lord. So he put these reforms up. In verse 5, it goes on to say, he says he also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him. And he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them, the towers, uh, gates, and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have uh, sought the Lord our God, and we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. So here we have Asa tearing down these high places, getting the people back on track, following the commands of the Lord, and now he's going to prepare and build fortified cities. And build up his nation to prosper. And when is he doing this? 
He's doing this during a time of rest. He wasn't kicking back saying, oh, we're okay now. Look, the peace God's given us. We can just sit back and relax. And I think a lot of us as, as believers, whenever we have times of peace in our life and everything seems to be going really good, we have a tendency to want to just kind of kick back, relax, you know. I'm not going to read my word today. Might not go to church on Sunday. I'm not feeling well. Right? We kind of just relax. And that's, you know, Asa wasn't going to do that. Asa started preparing in a time of peace. I was in the military for over 15 years, and we constantly trained, trained day in and day out to prepare for what? To prepare for battle. To prepare for what was going to come at some point in time. It wasn't going to be peaceful all the time. And that's what Asa is doing with his, uh, with his nation right here. You know, he could have just kicked back and relaxed. And there was a saying we had in the military, say, stay alert, stay alive. And that's exactly what Asa was doing. He's making sure that his nation, his people were going to stay alert and they were going to stay alive if a battle did come. He was going to make sure that they were prepared. So when it comes and you, and so whenever that time comes and the battle does come before you, you don't have to kick yourself in the backside saying, oh, man, I should have read my word more. I should have been more in tune with God and, and his ways. And now this hard time's coming and I have a struggle in my life. I don't know what to do with it. If you prepared yourself and you, you prepared yourself day in and day out during those times of peace, it won't be as bad when those hard times come because you're, you're, you're locked and loaded and you're ready for the battle. And that's what Asa is doing here. It says Asa is remembered as a godly man because he was wise enough to use the time of peace for a time of preparation. And that's what we have to use. Our time of peace, a time of good times with the Lord, we need to use that as preparation for the future. Not just preparing ourselves, but preparing our families and our friends and, and coworkers and whoever may be around us. We need to prepare ourselves for when that battle comes. And it will come. In verse 7, it says, Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us, our God, uh, before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. Now there are three ways, and there's more, but there's three ways that I've seen in the Bible to where uh, it tells us what we should do to build up ourselves and prosper. And one of those ways is building ourselves up through the word during that time of peace. In First Peter 2, 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. We have to get that pure milk of the word. Some of us may still be on milk. Some of us may be on meat. But either way, they provide us with nutrients and provide us with building blocks for us to be able to build, be built up spiritually. So getting into his word will keep us built up and prosper. Also through our own words. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words do mean something. Now, I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. We're naming and claiming it. Give me a million dollars, and there it is. That's not what I'm saying. But our words can build our faith up. It can also tear our faith down. Our words can build other people's faith up, and our words can also tear other people's faiths down. So our words do matter, and our words can build up either ourselves or build up other people. And number three, 
You can also be built up and prospered through love. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says, uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. To, show, to share our love of Christ with others and to have that kind of love for others will definitely build people up. And just knowing the love of Christ will build our own faith up as well. So getting into our word will build us up. The words we use will build us up. And the love that Christ gives us will build us up. Amen. In verse 8, it goes on. It says, And Asa had, had an army on three hundred uh, army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. So here in verse 7, we're given the preparation for this, um, for this invasion in time of peace. He's prepping for the invasion. He's now starting to, he's talked about fortifying his cities and uh, building those things up and putting gates and bars and all this great stuff. And now he's talking about how he's going to arm his soldiers, how he's going to give them the ammunition that they are going to need to succeed. And that's where we get from that preparation during peach time. We get the ammunition that is needed when our enemy attacks us from the front and attacks us from the back. We're going to be well armored and, and have enough ammunition to be able to fight against what the enemy is going to bring to us. And we get that all during our peace time. In verse 9, it says, Then Zariah the Ethiopian, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to uh, Morshah. A million-man army. That is a lot of men coming in, and they're greatly outnumbered as we're going to continue to read. And it says, And Asa cried out to the... Okay, so Asa went and out against him, and they set their troops to battle array in the valley of Zephathah at Morshah. And Asa cried out to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help. Whether with many or with those who have no power, help us, O Lord our God. For we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. He did the right thing, crying out to the Lord. And he's also saying, Lord, don't let them profane your name. Don't let them win over you. He's putting this battle totally in God's hands. He's not leaving no room for, for, for men to get glory on this. He's saying, Lord, what is it for you to help us? It's nothing. Nothing for you to help us. And we've got to think about that in our own lives. We, we, pray for, we pray for people to get healed. We pray for people who just have headaches. Oh, Lord, pray for this headache. Hope everything goes well. But then when times come up and someone has cancer or something like that, we're often like, oh, what can the Lord do with this? There's no difference. The Lord can heal cancer as well as a headache. He can get you out of any battle. And that's exactly what Asa is saying here. What is it to you to get us to win this battle or to help us? It's nothing. Nothing to you. Snap your fingers and it can be done. And he's saying, Lord, don't let, the, don't let these people win because they're going to defame your name. They're going to make you look bad and we don't want that. So he cries out to the Lord. In verse 12, it says, So the Lord struck the Ethiopians uh, before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people, Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to uh, Geror. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover. 
uh, for they were broken before the Lord and his army, and they carried away very much spoil. Then they defeated all the cities uh, around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for there, were, uh, for there was exceedingly much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. So Judah not only won this battle, but they also got the plunder from the enemy's camp. The Lord delivered them and blessed them with his victory. And so thus God answered Asa's prayer. And I think of Ephesians 3.20 when it comes to the answering of this prayer. Not only did he deliver him in battle, but he also gave him the plunder from the enemy. And Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, and that power is Jesus Christ. We got a God. We have two prayers here. One prayer of desperation. Well, both of them are prayers of desperation. One from a guy who was doing evil in the sight of God. And we all did evil in the sight of God. And we cried out to the Lord and the Lord saved us. And we also have one who is doing what was good and right. And we see how God responds to that as well. And God is one who wants to answer prayers for us. He wants to answer the desires of our hearts. He wants us to cry out to him. And he wants to bless us abundantly through it. And we see here with Asa that he was blessed abundantly through the prayer that he lifted up to the Lord and because he was doing what was good and right in his sight. Amen. Father, we uh, thank you for this word tonight. We ask that we can do what is good and right in your sight, Lord, and that we prepare for our future, Lord, and that we prepare for the battles that are ahead while we have peace now, Lord. Let us depend on you, Father God. Because you are a good God and you are a God that wants to answer prayers for his loved ones, Lord. And we pray for those who are not saved. We pray that they would, they would cry out to you, Father God, in desperation, Lord. Because we know that you answer prayer of those who are in desperation, Lord. And that you would save them. We ask for your blessings for those here tonight. We ask for those who are not here also, Lord, that you would bless them as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.